0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at HopeChurchOnline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Stories. Today, you've already heard some very powerful stories. You heard Ryan's story of how, in the midst of a trauma God used even that trauma to draw her to a saving relationship with himself. You heard Danielle's story how in the midst of tragedy, God still is at work drawing people to himself in salvation. You saw In testimony, some stories of people who've been baptized, they've given their lives to Jesus. At some point, their life has intersected with the person of Jesus, and their life has been changed. If you look up the word story in the dictionary, it's an account of past events in someone's life. We all, in one sense, have a story. Everybody in this room has a story, something that has led you to this moment. For those in the room today who are already followers of Jesus, already Christians, your story includes an encounter when you came to know Jesus, when your story intersected with his story and you became a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to do something a little bit different today. I want to tell you my story. Some of you have heard pieces of my story. Most of the time when I tell parts of my story here, it's the story of how God called our family here to be involved in starting this church in Las Vegas. But I want to take you back further than that today, and I want to tell you my story. I was born into what's called the Bible Belt in America. Now, it's called the Bible Belt because so many people go to church and everybody assumes that everybody from the Bible Belt comes from this long history of Christianity, but that's not my story. My mom and dad were Christians, but my mom and dad were the first Christians on either side of our family. I don't come from a Christian heritage. I did not have godly grandparents when i grew up i didn't have grandparents who were praying for me and involved in my spiritual development and speaking god's word into my life as a matter of fact my parents on my, my grandparents on both sides of my family were very far from god people who rejected god my my dad's parents were both people that, that had nothing to do with god my dad's dad was a career military man. He fought in multiple wars. He was in the first wave of the Anzio Beachhead in World War II, and he was in Korea, and it was a career service man, a drill sergeant. And because of that, in some ways, very disciplined, but in other ways, the war took its toll on his life. And as I knew him as a small child growing up, my grandfather was a guy whose life was consumed with a lot of silence, a lot of solitude. And the only expressions were much of that of alcohol and gambling or kind of what dominated his life. My dad's mom was a tough lady. She had a big exterior, big personality, but she was somebody that had to be tough and have that kind of skin. She worked in the city street department around all males, and she directed that office, and she was a tough tough lady and that was my dad's parents neither one of them had any time for God no relationship with God never been in church to my knowledge my mom's parents were equally as dysfunctional both sets of my grandparents they never divorced they were married until death because in their generation divorce was not something that very many people did they just gutted it out and found other ways to deal with it both of them, if they were married today, probably would have easily been divorced. My mom's parents was a household filled with a lot of temper, a lot of anger, a lot of verbal abuse, a lot of dysfunction. My grandfather on that side pursued money and finances he was an insurance salesman by trade but always trying to figure out a way to make another dime another dollar he went from collecting coins to collecting cards to collecting all kind of stuff trying to accumulate wealth but neither of my sets of grandparents walked with God so that's the families that my parents were born into and raised in it wasn't until my dad was about 11, 12 years old, that he had a neighbor. Thank God for neighbors. Amen. He had a neighbor that loved Jesus, a neighbor that his family was very involved in a local church there in Florence, Alabama. And that neighbor took an interest in my dad's family. And that neighbor began to to share Jesus with my dad's family. And his parents both rejected Jesus. But my dad, as an 11, 12 year old boy, started going with this other family to church. So if you're here today and maybe you're one of those families that you're ministering to some families around you, and mom and dad are rejecting, but at least they're letting you pick up the kids and bring them with you to church, that's, that's my story. That's my dad. That's, that's my spiritual heritage. My dad had a neighbor that cared enough about an 11-year-old boy to pick him up on Sunday mornings, bring him to church. And it was as my dad began to go to church that he got exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he embraced Jesus as his Lord and Savior as a young teenager and became a follower of Jesus. My mom wasn't because of a neighbor, it was because of a friend. Invited her in Birmingham, Alabama, to attend a youth group meeting. And she went to a youth group meeting, and there she heard the good news of Jesus, and she became a follower of Jesus. And then in college, my mom and dad met, got married. And my brother and I, who's six years younger than me, we were raised in a Christian family, but it was a first generation Christian family that had come from extreme dysfunction. So my dad had become a pastor. So we were raised not just in a Christian family, we were raised in a pastor's home, which meant we went to church a lot. And I mean a lot. My parents weren't perfect people. There was a lot of dysfunction that had come from both sides of their family into our upbringing. But they were legitimately trying to live out the gospel in our home and to lead my brother and I to understand what it meant to follow Jesus. But because they were first-generation Christians, first-generation Christian family trying to figure this thing out on their own somewhere along the journey. I missed it. Here's Even though I was hearing the gospel with my ears, what I was really seeing is that Christianity was about embracing two things, religious activity and morality. Trying to get involved in church. You go to church. You read your Bible, and when I say go to church growing up where I grew up, it meant we went on Sunday morning, we went on Sunday night, we went on Wednesday night, we went on Monday night for outreach, we went on Friday night for activity. We were I'm telling you, we did some church, man. <laughs> we were in church. It's part of being a Christian was this activity, this religious spiritual cycle that you lived on. And there was a great sense of guilt when you didn't perform. When you didn't show up at the meeting, when you didn't attend the the service, boy, you were made to feel bad about that. So you just went. And then coupled with that was this sense of morality. It's interesting now as I look back on it because the morality was pretty selective, meaning they emphasized two or three things. If you don't do these things and... If you do these things, then you're a good Christian. It's interesting now as I look back and read the Bible as an adult, there's a whole lot of stuff they left off both lists. (laughs) But like any mad-made system, right, when when you want to try to make yourself feel like you're achieving, you 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 can't do it all. So we pick a few things and we highlight those. And so that was my upbringing. Churched, very involved in religious activity, and trying with everything I could muster to do all the right things and not do all the wrong things and live this thing out called Christianity. The problem is that there was an emptiness. I was a perfect poster of what you were supposed to be, this good kid going to church, trying to do the right things, not do the wrong things, and yet as I grew up and got into high school, I began to ask some of those kind of questions about life in my own soul because there was still something that was missing I was yearning for something beyond what I was experiencing what the church at least was offering me so I started to try to find some other things to fill that yearning in my soul I started simple I started with just friends I thought maybe that's the key. I just need to just give my life to a circle of friends. And there were these group of guys, and we became this band of brothers all the way through high school, did a ton of life together. And although there was a sense of meaning and and purpose that I found in that, it still didn't satisfy that, that soul yearning for a bigger reason that I'm here. So I moved past that into other things. Like a lot of young teenage boys, I got involved in athletics, got involved in sports, started playing multiple sports. I got involved in football, baseball, basketball, golf. Didn't know anything about hockey back then in Alabama. Didn't know that existed as a sport. Matter of fact, in Alabama, we only have the other sports to stay in shape to play football. That's the only real sport where I'm from. But I got involved in all that. I wasn't a very good athlete in any of those things. I, I was able to, to, to reach a measure of success just doing some of those things, but not like the kind of athlete that's going to go to college and play ball. I just played ball, and I, didn't, I only played two of those sports from my high school, football and golf, and the other two I just played in city leagues and gave myself to athletics for a season. But, but sports, again, it, it, although it gave me another sense of camaraderie, it, it didn't fill the emptiness that was on the inside. I was still left wanting and yearning. So I started pursuing money. By the time I was 15 years old, I got my first job. I was working in a pharmacy as a stock boy. And, and, and then when I got my license, a delivery boy for senior citizens who needed their prescriptions. And I'd worked at the front counter and started making money, put a little money in my pocket. Thought, man, that's what I need. I just need independence. I need my own money. I need wealth. And by the time I was 17 years old, I was so pursuing money that I'd co-opt out of high school. I was at 17. I'd go to high school till noon every day, get out of school, go to work by 1 o'clock. I'd work till 6 o'clock five days a week managing a small pharmaceutical warehouse at that time and man I I was rolling in the money for a kid in high school. I had tons of money in my pocket. That bought me even more friends and more freedom and, and more opportunity but even though I was making tons of money I was still empty. Money didn't fill it. So I tried everything I knew and then I had some opportunities because of money and freedom. My mom and dad, my dad had pastored the same church in my hometown my whole life from five years old till the time I was a senior in high school and then decided God had called him to Memphis, Tennessee. He moved with my my mom to Memphis, Tennessee and Took my younger brother who was 11, but because I was a senior in high school and had been such a good kid, they thought, well, we'll just let you finish out your senior year. And so they moved to Memphis. The plan was my mom was gonna spend a week in Memphis and a week in Muscle Shoals and only about three hours away and that'd work out great. But my brother was struggling to adjust to a new city. She wound up staying in Memphis. I stayed in Muscle Shoals, pretty much lived on my own as my senior as a senior year in high school and lived in their house and had money in my pocket. And you can imagine what that means. <laughs> I ran down that from my, in between my junior, senior year of high school all the way into my freshman year of college, partying, alcohol, and that scene dominated my life. It became something that I'm not proud of to this day, but pursued to great excess. A lot of stuff I don't even remember from my senior year of high school because of the pursuit and into college of partying and alcohol and that kind of activity. There was a verse of Scripture in the midst of all this that came into my life out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I want to show it to you. Look what the Bible says. This is in the Amplified Bible. It says, He has made everything beautiful in His time." He also has planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. And then he kind of gives us a definition of what that means. A divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages, which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. That's exactly what I had. I had this sense, this yearning for purpose. There was a hole in my soul that was longing for a sense of why am I here? What is life all about? And I tried friends. I tried athletics. I tried popularity. I tried money. I tried partying. I tried everything to fill that emptiness, and nothing could satisfy me. And because I was still keeping up the facade of religion on the outside, I was still going to church in the midst of all this, living like I wanted to Monday through Saturday, and then showing up on church with that smile on my face, maybe like some people here. And one day I heard a man named Bill Stafford. I'll never forget it. Bill Stafford preached the gospel. Listen, I'd heard the gospel hundreds of times. But for the first time in my life on that day, I heard the gospel. That Jesus came to die on a cross for my sin. That God had made me for a relationship with himself, but it was my sin that was separating me from God. And Jesus came and on the cross, Jesus died for my sin. He took all of my sin on himself. And he rose again from the dead so that I could be forgiven of my sin and I could have life in him. And I went home that night. And I'm telling you, I was at a low, low, low point. I I didn't know the word depression, but I was depressed. It's a real darkness that was overshadowing my life. And that night... It was in such a dark place that I, I knelt down beside my bed and I cried out to God like I'd never done before. And I literally surrendered the control of my life to Jesus. And I was so serious and I was in such a dark place. I said, God, if I ever start down a different road again, just take me out. I'd reached an end. I surrendered to Jesus, and let me tell you something, that night, I didn't even know it, let me tell you what happened, I met God, Jesus came to live inside of me. That next morning, I'll never forget it. I went and grabbed my Bible off the shelf and I opened it. And for the first time in my life, I opened my Bible not because it's what I had to do to be a good Christian. But I opened my Bible because I wanted to know this God that I had just met the night before. And for the first time in my life, rather than just reading the Bible, I'm now spending time with God. And as I stand here before you today... That's 30 years ago this year. When I was writing this and I wrote that down, I thought, that cannot be so. I can't be that old. (laughs) 30 years ago this year, I was a freshman in college and surrendered the control of my life to Jesus. And let me just say, for 30 years, I'm not perfect and I haven't been perfect. None of us are who are followers of Jesus Christ. THERE'S STUFF THAT WE GIVE OURSELVES TO BEFORE CHRIST, AND THE ENEMY KNOWS THIS, AND THAT'S WHY HE TEMPTS US, THAT CREATE FLESH TENDENCIES. LISTEN, BECAUSE OF WHAT I GAVE MYSELF TO BEFORE JESUS, I have flesh tendencies that create temptations in me that I struggle with to this day that I have to battle just like you on a daily basis. But let me tell you what I know. I'm not the person I used to be. Jesus Christ has come to live inside of me and he's given me meaning and purpose. I now know why I'm here. I was created for a love relationship with God and everything else in my life only makes sense out of the overflow of my love relationship with God. Jesus didn't come into my life to help me live my life. Jesus came into my life to be my life. And that's what I discovered in Christ. And I have a story today to tell you because of his story. Every person in this room today that's a Christian has had a moment when their story intersected with his story. You say, what's his story? I'm going to give it to you in two statements. But first, look at these verses out of Philippians chapter 2 that tell us his story. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Listen to what it says. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Well, he existed in the form of God, but did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Two important truths we learn about the story of Jesus in these verses You see, the whole story of the Bible is really the story of Jesus. Two truths. I'm going to give them to you and we're done. Number one, Jesus is God who became man. This is very important. Jesus is not just another religious leader. Jesus is not just a dispenser of spiritual truth. Jesus is not just a good man. He claimed to be infinitely more than that. Jesus claimed to be God. Now, I would submit to you today, if somebody claims to be God, they're either God or they're crazy. There's no middle ground, right? Jesus is God. Jesus is the one in Genesis 1 when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is that God of very God. But at a point in time, Jesus, who existed as etern- in eternity as God, chose to lay aside the privilege of being God. He didn't stop being God. He just laid aside the privilege of being God, took on human flesh, and God became a man. When Jesus walked on the earth, it was literally God with skin on. God became a man. Well, why did he do that? He did that because we'd sinned against him. And because all of us have sinned against God, we're separated From a relationship with him. Let me show it to you in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. Look at this. It says, but your sins, your iniquities, it's another word for sin, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Here's what that means. It doesn't matter what I try to fill this emptiness on the inside with. I can try goodness, I can try morality, I can try religion, I can try being a good neighbor, I can try loving one another, I can try all kind of stuff to fill this emptiness, but because I've sinned against God, God is over here, and I'm over here, and no matter how hard I try, God is holy, and His holiness demands He not be in fellowship with sin. There was nothing I could do to fix this. But here's the good news. God did for us what we could not do on our own. When I could not get to him, God took on human flesh and he came to get us. God came into this world and became a man. And here's the second part of the statement. Jesus is God who became man so he could reconcile man back with God. What I could not do in myself, Jesus came into this world to do. Which is what? To give me a relationship with God. Say, how did he do that? Let me show you another verse of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible says, he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, Jesus. Look what it says. To be sin. That's important. Jesus is God who became a man and lived a sinless life. And the Bible says on the cross, here's what he did. He became sin. He didn't just take our sin on him. He became sin for us. Why? Because of the holiness of God. The holiness of God must judge sin. If he ceases to judge sin, he ceases to be holy. If he ceases to be holy, he ceases to be God. Sin had to be judged. It had to be dealt with. So here's what God the Father did. When sin was on Jesus, Jesus became all of our sin, God the Father poured out all of his wrath and judgment on Jesus for the sin of the world. All the judgment, all the wrath that I deserve because of my own sin was poured out on Jesus. Jesus drank the full cup of the judgment of God against sin. And on the cross, God died. for us but he did not stay dead Amen. he rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sin and now you and I all we must do when we put our faith in Jesus here's what the scripture says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on behalf for us why so that we might become the righteousness of god and him there's no more judgment for our sin when we believe in jesus all the judgment for our sin has been paid and we get to be clothed in the very righteousness of god and we enter into a love relationship with the god who made us that's the good news of the gospel The good news of the gospel is Jesus came to restore you back into fellowship with God. But it can only happen through him. He's the only way. He's not a way. He's the way. The way. You say, well, how do I get in on that? We'll look at one more verse of scripture. John chapter 20, verse 31. The gospel of John is one of the places that tells us the story of Jesus. And at the end of his gospel, listen to what John said. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There's the key word right there. Believe. How do I get in on it? I get in on it by believing in Jesus. You say, I don't have to earn it, I don't have to do anything. Listen, everything that needed to be done was done when Jesus died and rose again on our behalf. That's why we sing the song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. You say, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, there's a missionary that asked that question one time. His name was John Patton. He was taking the gospel to the Hebrides Islands. And his task was to translate the gospel into a language that had never heard it before. And he struggled to find a word in their language for the word belief. Couldn't find a word. Didn't know how to translate it. Till one day, there was a, a native who was living there in the islands who came in. He'd been working all day, and he ran into the hut where the missionary was translating. And there was a chair sitting there, and the, 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 the native that had been working all day to exhaustion came in, and he just threw himself down in the chair. And he said, man, I'm resting my whole weight on this chair. And the missionary said, there it is. There's what it means to believe. And that's how he translated it into their language. To believe in Jesus is to rest your whole weight on him. It's to come to the place in your life where you realize, I can't do this on my own. I turn away from everything that I am to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And here's my question for you today. Has your story ever intersected with his story? Have you ever come to a place in your life where you, like I did as a freshman in college, like Danielle did sitting outside that sunrise hospital, like Ryan did in that college gathering on that Friday night, have you ever come to a place in your life when you surrendered the control of your life to Jesus and rested your whole weight on him? to save you I'm going to ask you all over the building right now to just bow your head all over the building to bow your head and in just a moment I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to what we've said today but before I do let me say this and I say this often I say it almost every week and I mean it every week but I really mean it today this is not a time to slip out early Now, we have some volunteers that are moving into some places where they need to be. But if you're not one of those volunteers, unless you have a medical emergency, I'm going to ask you right now, don't be moving around. We're about to do business with God. And there are people in here that are about to make a decision that's going to impact their eternity forever. And the last thing you or I need to be right now is a distraction. If you're here today, Maybe you're like me or Danielle or Ryan or one of these others, and and you've got that, you've reached that point of emptiness. You know that you can't do this on your own. You know there has to be more, and you're ready to rest your whole weight on Him. You're ready to give your life to Jesus today. With nobody looking around right now but me, I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer. And listen, it's not prayer that saves you. It's Jesus that saves you. And it's you putting your faith in Jesus that brings salvation. But one of the ways we can place our faith is through prayer. That's why the Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want to pray with me right now, they're in your seat. I'm just going to pray out loud. You can pray in your heart. You can pray it out loud. Doesn't matter. If you're ready today to meet God and to be saved and to have Jesus... As your Lord and your Savior, just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross for my sin. I know that you rose again from the dead. I know that you love me. And right now, Jesus, I turn from my sin. And I put my life in your hands. I believe in you, Jesus. I rest in you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, right now, with nobody in this room but me looking around, If for the very first time in your life, you just prayed with me and have believed on Jesus, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you just prayed with me for the very first time with nobody looking right now but me, just slip your hand up and hold it up. You just prayed for the very first time. Just hold it up. You've given your life to Jesus. I'm just going to pray for you. Just hold it up. God bless you. Somebody else? I'm just going to pray for you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you, young man. God bless you. Just hold it up for a second. God bless you. I want to just see you all of it. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, young man. All right, you can put your hands down. Welcome to the family of God. Listen, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for you, like I said I was going to. But before I pray, we're about to have an opportunity to respond. And you've already responded. You've believed on Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. When we stand, we're going to sing a song. And some people are going to be coming down front here to be prayed with. If you just prayed with me for the very first time to receive Jesus, here's what I want to ask you to do. When we stand to sing, instead of coming down here to the front, I want you to go out the back door. And out the back door in the lobby, over to my right and your left... In that main lobby, there are some Next Steps volunteers that have a lanyard on that just says Next Steps. And they've got a gift for you. It's some information to help you. You didn't just make a decision. You just began a new journey, and we want to walk with you. So when we stand to sing in just a moment, if you just prayed with me for the very first time, you go right out that back door. You meet one of those Next Steps volunteers. It'll take two minutes of your time. I promise you. They just want to get some information and they want to give you a gift from us to help you on this new journey. Second thing that's going to happen, if you're here this morning and you didn't pray with me, but you want to receive Jesus or you want to talk with somebody more about that, While we're singing, we have pastors down here at the front. You come to any one of these pastors and say, I need Jesus or I want to talk with somebody. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and have a conversation about how you can have a relationship with Jesus. While we're singing, you're just going to come. Others are going to be going out the back door. You're going to come down here to the front. And then finally, if you're here and you're already a Christian. Maybe there's something in your job, your health, your family, and you just need to pray. These altars are going to be open here at the front. You can come pray, or you can come pray with one of our pastors. We'd be honored to pray for you and with you during this time. You just respond. If you've just given your life to Christ, you're going to go out that back door today. You're going to meet one of these Next Steps volunteers. You're going to get one of those gifts. Have a two-minute conversation. If you want to receive Christ now, you're going to come to one of our pastors. Or if you want to pray, you can come to one of our pastors. Lord, thank you for salvation. God, thank you that you're still saving people. I pray for these that have raised their hand. Lord, right now, I know the flesh, their enemy is trying to convince them about not going out that back door and talking to somebody. But Lord, I pray you'd give them the freedom. I pray right now, Jesus, you'd give them the strength to go have that quick conversation. Lord, I pray for those that need to come this direction, those that still need to be saved. God, I pray for those that need to pray, that need to get a hold of this altar. They need to cry out to you, Lord, as they come. God, would you bless. Lord, have your way in this moment. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.